0: Welcome to So Sorry For Your Loss. This is Not Your Average Grief Group. I'm Gianna DiMedio, thanks for joining me as we normalize the conversation around grief with the stories of those who've gone through it, a whole lot of humor, and a pinch of celebrity and entertainment news. Because fun fact, they grieve too. There's more to grief than that godforsaken dove flying over a willow tree on a sympathy card. I know you've seen it and know what I mean. Let's change the way society looks at it. Visit ssfylpodcast.com for more. It is March 1st, the day that I am putting this podcast episode out, which means March 2022, two years since the start of this pandemic. Isn't that crazy? This is like our generation's JFK assassination and the Twin Towers. Like You will always remember where you were when shit started to go down. I really think it was that one week when the NBA shut down, Tom Hanks announced he had COVID and there was like something else really big that happened that day. But like I remember specifically sitting on the couch and looking at my husband like, okay, this is not something that's just kind of like maybe gonna happen, like this is really big and it's here. And we're still two years and you know, I don't wanna get political and you know, whatever your thoughts and feelings are on everything. At the end of the day, it has been a huge thing that's affected our society, people, are grieving. Our guest today has been dealing a lot with post-pandemic grief and has some really good insight on it. So we talk with her, specifically this whole idea that we aren't all going through this the same. You know, this message in the beginning of like, We're together, we're in it together, but we're not. It's different for a lot of people. You can't tell me that me and a healthcare worker who's been on the front lines every single day has the same experience. I just, we don't. Kimberly Pittman Schultz talks about how you can reenter the world when your heart is still really hurting. Oh man, she's been through it. Her grief started really early on in her life when she was saved from a fire at the age of three years old that took the lives of her two other sisters tragic, tragic story. She has basically been working on grief her entire life. So she is a bestselling author that came out with a book called Grieving Us, a field guide for living with loss without losing yourself. So important. I mean, if you're listening to this, you're probably trying to get a sense of self back because you know how much grief can take from you. She has a whole set on grieving mindfully, coming back to your senses, creating new life patterns for yourself after loss, how giving and being generous and philanthropic is actually something that can be a band-aid to your loss. She has a great take on that. And this whole sense of like being an avatar and how she's lived her life for the others that she's lost along the way. Mm, there might be some cons to that. So we talk about that as well. She's an award-winning poet. She's an author. She writes, she teaches, she speaks everything about death. She's done it. She's so incredibly positive. And I said it in the interview, she was like a ray of light. So head over to my social where you can see the videos of her to actually see what I mean. Her smile was just beaming from the video screen. It's at so sorry with Gianna. And while you're there, check out some of my other content, DM me, is there anything specific you want to see? I love hearing from you guys. So go check it out and enjoy this week's episode with Kimberly Pittman Schultz. Thank you so much for being here today. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great. I'm doing great because I'm here talking with you and getting
1: all of your energy and that's always a good thing, right? Yay.
0: Yes. You, I, right. We're on Zoom, but it's like, I already feel like I can feel your energy. You have such a beautiful smile and you have such like a positive energy radiating off of you. Oh, which- Thank you. I feel you already are a positive person from the things that I've read about you. One of the things that I loved that your PR person had sent that you challenge the assumption of grief and joy as opposites and believe that they can coexist. And when I read that, I was like, this is someone I need to have on this podcast because that is something okay. I am so trying to get out there into the universe that they don't cancel each other out. And that just because you are experiencing grief in your life, You can't have joy again. It's totally totally possible. What has brought you into this world of writing about grief? I mean,
1: none of us, when we're little girls say, when I grew up, I'm going to write a book about death and loss and grief. I mean, none, none of us start <laughs> out life that way, right? But I will say, and we, and there's nothing magical or unique about me. I mean, we all live with different kinds of loss and grief. Most people have experienced a significant death, often early in their lives. And so most of us are dealing with, you know, many losses. And really, if you think about it, from the moment we're conceived and born, we're dealing with loss because at some point we're going to be separated from our mothers and that's sort of like our first loss. So there's nothing unique about me. But what I will say is that as a young child at about three and a half, there was a house fire. And I survived it, but I had two other sisters that were sleeping in the same room with me. I had an older sister who is not quite seven yet, who was sleeping in an upper bunk. I was sleeping in a lower bunk. And then uh, a little sister, and it was her second birthday, actually. And they did not survive that fire. I lost two sisters sleeping in the same room with me. My oh father my gosh. punched his hand through the window where we're waiting for the Fire department to show up, and he was able to pull me out and take me to a group of waiting, crying passersby, my mother, and when he was turning to go back to the house, there was a loud explosion, and fire just completely engulfed that room, and he could not get in to save my other sisters. So that really, you know, as you can imagine, that becomes you, you've dealt with your own very serious loss, and that you cannot help but shape a lot of who you are and oh, part yeah. of how you perceive the world. And in my case, my mother, and I would only learn much later, it wasn't until I was 30 that I really understood, learned how the fire started. But my mother, as you can imagine, any parent losing children in such a, you know, in any way, any way, shape or form, but in a fire like that, where you survive and your kids don't, that's a pretty hard thing to bear during life. And she was never really able to talk about it which meant I wasn't able to talk about it. So as a little Mm -hmm. kid, I was trying to figure out death and grief and what was going on with me without really any intervention or counseling or the ability to sit down with my parents or others and talk. And then much, much later, actually, I would say the other big losses are when My mother passed away two weeks before she died of lung cancer. My friend and next door neighbor, Ruth, committed suicide and she Mm -hmm. did it, unfortunately, under the tree. I did not witness this, thank God, but under the tree that my kitchen window looked out upon so that every time I looked out that window after that, it was pretty hard, you know. And uh, I used to have a habit of going out and saying good night to the night every night. And that night I hadn't done that. And so you go through, as you can, as I'm sure you've heard, and some of the people you've interviewed, you go through this whole rigmarole of, I could, I should, I wish I had, what if I'd been out on the deck that night? Could I have of seen course. or would I have stopped or all that? So that led to a two-year period of grief that I came to call loss limbo, where I just really was stuck and had to find my way out. So wow. that's, you know, that's, those are the two big, I mean, obviously we've had other losses along the way.
0: I'm sure an animal sure. person.
1: So animal losses have been difficult for me, but those, those were the big ones.
0: Yeah. The significant ones that really shaped the experience. I, I totally understand what you mean. Like, of course, you know, everybody has losses along the way, but there are the ones that are really transformative into what your journey through life ends up being. First of all, I mean, I want to extend my consultances. I mean, those are some very tragic occasions that have happened amongst your family and amongst your friends. And I'm sure you get asked this all the time. Was there some type of survivor's guilt that you had to fight through in your years after that?
1: I think it was. I mean, as a little kid, you don't quite know what to make out of it. The day of the fire, I had broken my older sister's crayon. And I remember as having this ideology and it wasn't even words, it's just, you know, it's like prelingual in a way, you know, thinking like maybe she wasn't coming back because I broke her crayon, you know, and Mm. that kind of thing. So you have, you know, kids don't quite know how to process it. Right. And literally as a time I was, you know, pounding on the window, I could see people outside and before my father was able to punch through and get me underneath the bed was actually that broken red crayon. So that kind of really stuck with me for a very I mean into this day you know decades later this Mm -hmm. this crayon so you you know you do those kinds of things as a kid and then I would say you do get to a survivor's grief you do get to like why me and then you get to this you know for me I turned that into a positive and, and and I didn't really have a word for it until I started trying to recover from the loss of my mother and my friend, and, you know, I called it becoming an avatar, where I began to say, okay, their lives were taken so young, but I have these eyes, I have these ears, and I'm going to show them the world through me. And Mm -hmm. so I tried to turn that survivor guilt into, I'm living for them as well as for me. Now, that's a danger, too, because I at one point ended up being a workaholic, and, you know, and then I would beat myself up if I didn't do something well, because, you know, I'm living for all these people, right? Yeah, to an extreme. But at the right level, I think that survivor guilt can really be living for people and letting them live through you. Um, There were clothes my mother never got to wear. Now, she was taller than I am, had longer hands, so they don't quite look the same on me. But Mm -hmm. for a while, I I wore some of her clothing um, for her that she never got to wear.
0: Yeah. I have a similar philosophy kind of with this, this traveling that my husband and I are doing. It's both of our parents before they passed had said, Oh, when I retire, I want to do this. I want to do this. I want to do this. And they never got that chance. So, you know, coming down to Florida and just being on the beaches all day long and going golfing and drinking and having fun was a total dream of my dad. And that has really compelled us to live the way that we are now to be able to experience these things for them, but also with the fear of knowing, right, why are we going to fall into the same pattern as them and say, oh, we'll do it later. We'll do it when, you know, what if that never comes? So I I am intrigued by what you said of becoming an avatar and and having them experience life through your eyes and, and ears and experiences. But I do see where there can be fault in that or almost a danger of when are you living life for yourself and when are you letting your life be controlled by the fear the grief the memory of someone else and uh, i think i think that's a real thing that is is helpful to acknowledge to make sure that you know myself and and the listeners are checking in with ourselves and saying hey is this a good idea is is this a wolf in sheep's clothing almost is this what we think is a positive but actually it's kind of cloaked in this this negative experience of this is my grief gripping me, not necessarily enacting positive change. Because of these experiences, were you always a writer or did you just start writing as a way of therapy for yourself? How did you get into the poetry and how did you get to writing Um, your book, uh, which is called Grieving Us and congratulations to you. First of all, I do wanna say I commend you on using these experiences to catapult you into something good and to be able to to help other people. And second of all, this book, Grieving Us, number one on Amazon new releases in several categories when it first came out, so. Yeah, That's amazing. Thank you. That
1: surprised me too. You know, it just, yeah. So I ha- it got off to a good start and I continue to, I mean, for me, uh, we talked a little bit right before our conversation started. One of the most amazing things to me about the book is how it has connected me to people literally around the world mm-hmm. who have picked up a copy of the book, whether, you know, electronic or audio version, you know, I have all the versions and some of the stories and the email conversations I've had, you know, what you hope is that, I mean, it's not about fame or glory and certainly not making money off of it, I guarantee you that. But the ability to say to yourself, and and before I even wrote the book, I mean, I researched to say, does the world really need another grief and healing book, you know? Mm -hmm. And I looked at it, literally went and looked at, at what was out there, what was selling, looked at some of the comments people made on others' books about what was missing or what they didn't like or what they were hoping for. And so I tried to actually fill some of that in, including people feeling like there was a lot of support for understanding their grief, but not a lot of like specific how to, okay. So everyone says, go take a walk when you're feeling sad. How do I get off the couch? Okay, right, I right. want to do that, but how do I get off the couch? Right. You know, and that's where, you know, I tried to really just kind of go back and look at the system that I developed for myself that, you know, that began, you know, after that long two year lost limbo period where I just really felt stuck and knew I didn't want to spend the rest of my life just feeling like who cares, nothing matters, um, so much of my life had just come to a stop. I was just going through the motions. And mm-hmm. I know life, you know, whatever we believe in the afterlife, the only thing we know for sure about this one, and this life and this body in this time is it's a once in a lifetime thing, right? Yeah. So I didn't want to, and particularly, because people have lost their lives, people that I loved people that I don't know that have lost their lives at very young ages. And, You know, it seems it seemed almost wasteful to me to not want to live more fully. Mm -hmm. Uh, And like you say, that's that's, all of these things are a balancing act because taken to extremes, they can they can be wolves in sheep's clothing. You can be, you know, setting yourself up for more harm. But taking in the right, you know, everybody has to figure this out themselves, right? That's one thing you say all the time. That's so true. Everybody grieves differently. Everybody finds their own way. Something that'll set you off won't set me off. And so we have to find our path, our own path that works for us.
0: Right. And it takes a little bit of time to get there. And that can't be the expectation that a month, six months, a year after grief, that that is what you're going to be able to accomplish. It It takes a little bit. I know the book is filled with so many great pieces of advice for how to to get to that stage of your life to feel a little bit more comfortable in your grief and make sure you're making Mm -hmm. the right decisions. But give us a teaser. What is one of the best pieces of advice you could give to somebody who is in that feeling stuck phase?
1: Well, I think for me, what I had to do, and it happened completely by accident. So I encourage people to try to do it on purpose. And then I discovered you could do it on purpose. And that is, You know, you can't, my, my sense is sometimes the world wants you to go from, okay, it's a year and a day. You okay now? You know, just like you were saying, it doesn't work that way. But sometimes we sort of want it to all go away. Like just, we just want to feel better again. And it doesn't necessarily work that way. It's in fits and spurts. It's a two steps forward, three steps back and, and seven steps sideways. So my first piece of advice is to look at first, just trying to take small breaks from grief. You know, not focus on I want this all behind me because Mm -hmm. grief actually serves a purpose. As you know, it's part of helping us take the love that we have for someone and find a place for it in our life to find a new way to take that person forward. I don't believe this is forever. The loss is forever, but I don't think really grief has to be all the time, always forever. But I I call it tidal. Like the ocean, it will come and it will go over time. You know, years later, I can have a wave of grief just come over me with something that happened when I was three or 30, you know? So the bit, so I would say one of the things that came to me was learning how to focus on just one of my senses and it started you know I was trying to get away from this two year lost limbo and it and it's what I call tiny come back to your senses rituals and I didn't have a name for it then all I know is one evening one of the things that I did every night no matter what was going on in my life one of the few routines that stayed intact was locking all the doors. At that point I was living in Southwest Washington. I was blessed to live along a stretch of the east fork of the Lewis River a beautiful wild river but I would lock the doors every night before I went to bed. And one night when it was time to lock the doors, something just made me feel like I'm going to walk out to the river. And I walked out in the dark, out to the river's edge, and I just stood there. And I listened to the water flowing over the stones. I could hear birds sort of shifting in the roofs up in the trees. Sometimes the water coming through the rocks, almost sounded like distant voices, but I realized it really was just the sound of the water and the way it interacted with with the, the bank of the river and, and the rocks. And I just stood there. I mean, that's it. Just stood there and mm-hmm. did nothing but listen. And then as I was walking back to the house to lock the door and go to bed, I realized, oh my gosh, in that moment, I felt okay. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying great. I wasn't sprinting, you know, to the highest peaks of you know happiness. But you thought but I had settled. taken a break. Yeah. Yes, I had taken a break from grief because I had simply paid attention to what my senses were bringing me without judgment, without a whole lot of thought, I was just simply being in that moment. And then I realized if I can do more of this, over time, I think I can begin to like, like stepping stones across a river, right? You can little by little start to step your way through the grief and have my goal was to create longer and longer grief breaks. And that's where it started was simply by picking a sense in that case, it was listening and just, just paying attention to what's there and letting it enter you and being so absorbed with what's happening around you and curious that I took a little break. Now it's not to say, you know, I didn't wake up crying the next day. Right. But it was the start. Right. And it told me that's possible getting better is possible. Yeah. And feeling no good when you're seriously grieving, you know, Feeling okay is like fantastic. Even, you know, you might not oh, feel yeah. fantastic, but feeling okay is so much better than feeling awful.
0: Right. You remember those little moments that you feel okay because unfortunately they are so few and far between, but they're so profound when they do happen. Like that simplicity of just walking out to the water's edge and feeling nature for a moment and feeling settling is something now years later you are not going to ever forget because you remember that feeling. I love this thing that you're talking about with title and it's so ironic but like at the end of the day is anything ironic is anything like coincidence anymore you know it's all the universe is all tied in synchronicity yes yes i just had this conversation with somebody earlier today they had asked me how i was liking florida and i said anywhere that i can be near water which we are i I just love it. I feel so comfortable. There is something so soothing to me to be near the water because I feel the rhythm of the waves is such a mirror of what I go through in my own grief that it's almost like I feel like I'm in an environment where I'm understood. So I had just had this conversation literally two hours ago and here you are basically saying the same thing that the title and the waves of your grief and everything. So it's nice. And I love being able to have conversations with people like this because it's like seeing that reflected in others and knowing like, okay, this thing that I'm thinking about my grief, others are experiencing too and others are feeling and and this is all I'm on the right path and I'm okay.
1: Well, that's why I think what you do, John, and, and with this podcast and you know what you do with your writing and your posting it's so important with grief because I think grief, even if every, like right now we're in sort of communal grief because we're recording this during, you know, what we hope is the beginning of the oh, end of the I pandemic, know, you're oh saying, my gosh. Right? but there's this sort of global grief, this sort of communal grief that's out there. And it's so, but it's, you're still isolating because we each experience it so differently. And mm-hmm. so the beauty and the power of what you're doing in having these kinds of conversations Is it helps people feel a little alone, like, oh my gosh, I'm not the only one. I'm not the only one. And there is something about, and frankly, there's nothing wrong with being the only one, (laughs) but it's human nature to just wanna know, okay, this is, this, okay, others are having this. I'm okay. Mm -hmm. You know, I might not be okay, but I'm okay.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And thank you so much for the kind words. I I really appreciate it. And that same thing. I mean, right back at you, the things that you're putting out there into the world are certainly helpful to everyone. You've you've done some work too with with post pandemic grief is something that you are out there talking about a lot. As you said, like, where are we in this pandemic world? We hope we're towards the end of it. But at the end of the day, it's brought on this enormous amount of grief to the entire world the you know society as a collective and i see it as being a huge challenge because when you are thrown into your own grief your life changes you're upside down life as you know it does no longer exist not to say that's always a negative thing you know we talk about it takes a little bit but sometimes life can change in a positive way joy and grief can coexist and you can get to a place where you feel that life has a different meaning than it may have had before. But now when you're, you're battling a pandemic as well, it's like you're, you're figuring out how to live life without your person, you're figuring out how to live life in this new world that we're, we're living in. What are your thoughts on how this pandemic world is making it, is it making it more difficult for grief? Is it making it easier for grief? Where, where are your thoughts on it?
1: Yes. Yes. No. No. Okay. <laughs> Did
0: you follow along, listeners? We got that. It's
1: all, the above. That. <laughs> it's all of the above. I think what makes it challenging is we're all going through this moment, and the moment keeps getting longer. We keep seeing there's a light at the end of the tunnel, and then it ends up being another COVID trade, right? So oh, yes. you know, you get your hopes up, and that is hard too on people to kind of get your hopes up. You start and, and stop. Start and
0: stop. Yeah. You know,
1: we had this period again when we we're recording this. This was a year ago, or. Eight months ago, or whatever, where for like two weeks, we actually didn't wear masks, right? <laughs> and I was yeah. like, Nope, mask back on. You know, here yeah. in California, we're, we're a very mask, maskful society here, just given the way we respond to it. So I think the most challenging thing, though, is we're going through this moment internationally. It's affecting people in different places, different ways. You've got political landscapes, you've got racial inequality in the background, well, in the foreground, really, of all of this as well. So you've got all of these other sorts of loss oriented big big things happening but then our own personal lives is different I mean so I was working from a home-based office before it was a thing before
0: everybody else oh you started the trend
1: yeah Yeah, (laughs) right and so I was really trying to help colleagues who had never worked from home Try, you know some people do great with it some people are bouncing off the walls right yeah so you have the you know you have that group of people you have other people that the pandemic didn't change one thing other than they had to do it all in a mask now, you know, who Mm -hmm. got up every day and they put on the mask. I hear a lot of people talking about, well, with all that extra time I had during the pandemic, and I'm sort of like, hello, a bunch of us did not have extra time, you know, if anything, I had less time during the pandemic with what I was doing in my personal life. So, so everybody's, so there's this idea that, you know, we've all been through this together. So it's all the same. And it is not, I think that's the biggest issue. And what I'm seeing as people are being asked to come back to work is you've got on one hand, people are like, i never thought the masks were a good idea. Anyway, I think they're dumb. Why do people have to wear them to other people feeling like I, my child has autoimmune or my, I'm, I mm-hmm. got my grandmother living with me. And I'm sorry, I happen to think Macs are really important. And I have some people that are just fighting at the bit to go back to work. And I know other people that are really honestly, honestly afraid. So I think that's where there's so much here. Even if you didn't lose someone, Gianna, to COVID, people did lose other people. Worse than socially distanced living in some regress has been the socially distanced dying that's happened during this period where people couldn't be there with their loved ones. And to end your life, certainly in the care of good, medical people but at the same time not with your people right Mm -hmm. there that's Mm -hmm. hard and that's forever you can't fix that that's unfixable that's that's a done thing so so you have all of these things overlaying and so for me the big message is we need to give people some grace we need to grant some grace here that everybody is in a different place and people some of the people not just healthcare workers but folks at the grocery store the post office the folks that come along and grab garbage who've had, you know, they have a lot of stuff that they've just gotten up and worked every day. That's now are starting to pop up in their lives. They're starting to feel anywhere from resentment to grief that they didn't let themselves feel, you know? So I think that's the big message here is don't think if we said tomorrow, the pandemic's over that we're all good now, you know, it's like any other kind of loss, right? Oh my gosh. Some are going to be okay. And some are really not going to be okay for a long time and our lives for many are radically changed and will be.
0: Mm-hmm. Everybody lost something during this pandemic. We look at grief as if it's mm-hmm. only the death of a person. And that's what I'm trying to put out there into the world that that is not quite the case. You know, we, you've talked about pets. We had an episode about pets. Recently, I did an yeah. episode about somebody who lost their job during the pandemic. People that live their sense of, lose their sense of normalcy, people that lose their relationships, lose their routine. Everyone lost something. And really, that's like the death of a life that you had before. And that in itself is grief. And to complement what you were just saying, I feel like a lot of people are waking up and realizing, what the hell was I just going through? What am I currently going through? I am having a grief here. And I think that's still looked at as almost negative or right. it's looked at as it's, it's not valid for them to feel that way because, oh, but everybody in my family is healthy and everybody in my family is okay. It's not comparable to some of the other grief that people may have gone through. What did you
1: have to feel griefy about, right? Yes,
0: yes, right? But everyone is allowed to feel something. They're allowed to feel grief for whatever it is that they may have lost during this pandemic. And quite frankly, everyone lost something.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think you know, one of the things that I saw, and I work in philanthropy as well, so I work do a lot of end of life planning. Um, you know, oh yeah, touch on know, that. Plan philanthropically as well as from an estate standpoint. And during some of the worst early pandemic, when New York was hit so hard, and at one point, this is a real statistic. At that time, it's gotten much better now, but at the time, about 94% of all people over 65 who were put on a ventilator died. I mean, oh it God. was like a death sentence. And so I had some older donors, charitable donors, I had been working with who were like, I want something to put in my estate plan that I don't want to do that. That's not if I'm getting to that point, I don't want to be in some place where people are wearing suits, and I don't have my family and And so it opened up a whole, like, it it had such an impact just in estate planning that people never thought about. And then you had all these young people that, you know, it's very easy when you're younger to like, okay, death is out there happening to somebody else, right? Yes. So it put our own mortality and that loss of security, safety, you know, if you remember the early part of the pandemic, you know, we didn't, we were afraid of our produce. Oh my gosh,
0: right? Yeah. The mail was like a terrorist encroaching on your home. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And so that's still there. You can't erase that. So we may have forgotten about a little bit, but it's still kind of working back in your brain. It's working in your cells. It's working in your body. That idea that, you know, there's stuff out there we can't see or feel that can be dangerous. And some people can just navigate through that. Okay. And for other people, that was, was and remains a huge aha moment.
0: What was your role with the estate planning?
1: I've been working with Michigan State University and their uh, charitable gift planning. So donors looking to, and I've worked with other charities too, international humanitarian work and done some end of life work with Compassion and Choices in the past, but currently with Michigan State. And so working with donors that want to include some kind of gift plan in their estate. For some some cause, usually it's wanting to benefit students. And what's been interesting about that trajectory, Gianna, you don't always think about. You, know, you asked me early on, and what led me to this place. What I discovered in many years of working in philanthropy, I used to head up a community foundation for several years in Pennsylvania, and literally work with people from all walks of life. You know, very affluent ranchers. You know, grandmas. I mean, just all kinds of all ethnicities, all backgrounds. And so much of philanthropy ends up being motivated by loss. It's something that even in my own in this field of philanthropy, people don't often pause to think about. It. And I'm not saying all philanthropy, but so often if someone is setting up a scholarship for a student or wanting to fund a research center or some humanitarian initiative, they're often doing it. I mean, I myself built a school in memory of my parents in Sierra Leone, which I eventually got to see, which was very cool. But so that's how I, you know that's been an interesting way that loss has been woven into my life is helping people take a loss, and you can never write it. You know, often young people that are lost and people feeling like, okay, my my child's not going to get to go to college, and say, I can fund somebody else's kids who yes. can't afford to go to go. Yes. So it's that idea of of giving is such a therapeutic thing. It just is. And sometimes when we're really grieving, it's hard to think about anyone but our own broken selves. And that would be the other piece of advice I would give is if you can take that little break from grief and then think about who else is out there that's hurting, maybe even more than me, that I can do some little thing. And it may be as simple as a smile at somebody in the grocery store. It sounds hokey. It sounds corny, but there's plenty of real stories out there
0: about how someone's smile prevented somebody from jumping. Yeah, no, I... I totally agree with you. I think that these acts of kindness like that or these things that people are compelled to do in the wake of a loss, when you're able to help other people, and especially when it's in memory of the person that you lost, it's like putting a Band-Aid on your own grief when you're able to do something positive and say, you know, okay, this is what has come out of this or let's make sure that's something beneficial for somebody else. I'm happy that we touched on this topic because I I do encourage anyone that if there's, if you're struggling with, how can I find meaning? How can I move forward? What can I do to almost just like, I get that like angsty feeling out of right. myself. A really good way to exercise that is to look into doing something good in the person's name and the estate planning and the donation and philanthropic uh, activities are, are certainly a great way to do that. I
1: have had people say to me two things. A, well, I'm not rich and affluent. It's like you don't need to be. Giving yeah. can be time. Giving can be to your local food bank. Giving can be, you know, just even within your family. There's many ways it's when you're kind of stepping beyond your pain, to try to just have a little positive influence on somebody else, because we're all connected. And when you are helping someone else, you really do feel good. Uh, It's kind of like the tiny come back to your senses rituals, you don't have to be on a Florida beach or in a along a river in uh, southwest Washington, or now I live in the Redwoods, you don't have to be, you can be walking in the middle of New York City and Manhattan, and you can find nature, whether that's in the iridescent colors of a pigeon's wings, whether it's looking for that flower coming up through the sidewalk, whether it's just, you know, human beings are the very, you know, one of the most populous animals on the planet. (laughs) Just seeing the humanity in a person, you know, just listening. I remember talking to a donor who said, well, I don't live any place natural. How can I have, how can I create a ritual to help me bring me back to my senses? And long story short, what she did is she Lived live in an apartment in, in New York, and she would open up the window in the morning and she would just listen. And mm-hmm. the one day she said to me, you know what? I hear music in the traffic. And I said, oh, what kind of music? And she goes, no, not that kind of music. She said, no, just there's actually a rhythm and a pulse rhythm. the way mm-hmm. the traffic comes and goes. I never noticed that before. Mm-hmm. That's powerful for her, that was powerful. And she got to where she looked forward to getting up in the morning, this for a person that didn't wanna get out of bed. So Ah. something that simple
0: is powerful. Absolutely. That is so beautiful. And I, I you are just like a little ray of light. I love this. <laughs> you <laughs> well, thank are you. so positive and so wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing everything today. A question that I would like to end with is if your book was to get picked up and someone was going to make a movie of the experiences that you had been through and your perspective on loss and grief, who would play you?
1: Well, I've got to say, I am such a Meryl
0: Streep fan. Ooh. You know, if I could talk
1: Meryl into to doing that, you know, that would that would be pretty awesome.
0: She is fabulous. I don't know why, and I wonder if you've heard this before, but you're giving me Diane Keaton vibes.
1: Oh, okay. I should have a hat on for that. Yes, right. Yeah. <laughs> she, always has, she always has those little hats on. Um, Diane, I, you know what? I would happily... Gianna, I would happily and gladly take <laughs> Diane Keaton any day. I was uh, actually thinking of Gilda Radner at one point because I thought, well, you didn't say the actress had to be alive, right? There you go. And yeah. So uh, Gilda Radner, I think, could have a lot of fun. She would she would make this really a lot of fun.
0: Yes. Maybe all three of them. Maybe they could play different phases of your life. Oh, that would work really well.
1: Yeah. I'd say that's a good, maybe I should, that would be an interesting practice for me to try is to try living different, like at times. Picking a part of the day and looking through Gilda eyes, looking through Meryl eyes, yes. looking through Diane eyes, and just see how it changes uh, my day. That's, I think yes. that that's a new practice I'll take
0: up. <laughs> there we go. Well, again, thank you so much for being here. Where can people connect with you if they want to find you? And again, tell us the name of your book so people can find that if they would like to purchase it, which they absolutely should.
1: Well, yes, my book is Greeting Us a field guide for living with loss without losing yourself, because that was the number one thing I heard from people is feeling that they've lost themselves because we're so connected to the people we love. And you can find it anywhere that books are sold. I mean, Amazon sells something like 72% of books on the globe. So I have all the formats, audio and ebook and that kind of thing. And then any place I would encourage you to go to your local bookseller and say, would you please order that and support your local bookseller because they are awesome, awesome people.
0: Wonderful. All right. Well, great to connect with you. Keep doing what you're doing out there, spreading positivity. And again, thank you so much. Thank
1: you. And thank you for all you do, Gianna. This has been a wonderful conversation. And I I think these conversations that you're having with such a diverse group of people are really making a difference because we're all dealing with grief and we always will be one
0: of those things that's not solvable It's part of being human. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Head over to Instagram to follow more at so sorry with Gianna. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, leave that five star review. I would love you for it. More to come on this season of so sorry for your loss. So stay tuned.